Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is TechieBytes episode 16. Today I'm speaking with Roy Taylor, a former exec at AMD and, and NVIDIA, as well as a current advisor to a company called Cubic Motion. We discuss AR, VR, growing sales, and more. Plus, there's a special treat towards the end. Enjoy. I'm here with Roy Taylor, who's currently a uh, advisor at Cubic Motion. They are quite an interesting company. He's also the CEO of a, uh, currently of a stealth startup that you uh, have not heard of, and neither have I, actually. <laughs> and, and he's also a former technology executive at, at large companies such as AMD and NVIDIA. Plus, he has a whole other a uh, lot of other really cool things he's doing, so I'll let, I'll let him tell you that. Welcome to the podcast, Roy. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. Yes, uh, on top of uh, those things you just described, I'm also <laughs> on the board of uh, BAFTA Los Angeles. BAFTA is the British Academy of Film and Television Arts. I also advise a, a number of film schools, including Chapman Dodge, based in Orange here in California. And I'm also the chair of a new film festival for Beverly Hills, the Beverly Hills Infinity Film Festival. Nice. That sounds like you're a busy guy. Yes, I'm very, very busy. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, even more now that you've taken the time to be on our, our podcast. So um, thanks for that. But, um, you know, I would love to jump in and talk to you about, uh, you know, clearly we, we just kind of highlighted a couple of high level things that you're doing currently. Um, but, you know, for our audience, you know, you've worked at some places that I'm sure they've used their products um, and you're involved in a lot of really cool things. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, what, what you're what you're what you're doing in a little bit more detail and really how long you've been doing this? Um, Absolutely. So as you can hear, I'm, uh, I'm a British guy. <laughs> um, I moved to America in 2005. I uh, started out, I left school and went straight into electronics. And in 1998, uh, I just started getting into PC video games. And a friend of mine uh, called me up and said, buy a 3DFX Voodoo card and download a patch for Quake. And I knew right away, as soon as I did that, that I wanted to spend the rest of my life in 3D. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, I contacted uh, 3DFX, uh, but I heard about a company called NVIDIA. And I was really interested in what they did. So, uh, so back in 1998, I started working out my bedroom, and was the first executive for Nvidia in Europe. Uh, stayed, uh, built that business up from scratch. That was that was wonderful. And then in 2005, came to the U.S. to uh, to work for Nvidia headquarters in California, and stayed there to 2010. Uh, when I moved down to Hollywood, I wanted to move from 3D and video games to 3D in uh, film and television. Mm -hmm. and, and I've been here and I've been working around entertainment and technology ever since. Nice. So, 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 so video games is what got you into this whole scene. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And you kind of, and you evolved clearly from there. Uh, you know, and, and, and one of the things you had mentioned just now was how you were the first executive for NVIDIA over in Europe, um, which is an incredible kind of feat just to, you know, to have on your resume. But not only that, you built up that business from nothing, you know, from making zero dollars to more than $300 million. Um, yes. I, 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 that's impressive. Um, I'd love for you to share some of the tactics. I know, you, I know sales is a big part of what you do. 
um, and is one of your expertise, you know, what, what, what were some of the tactics when you started, uh, you know, from, from zero, from nothing um, there uh, to building it up to more than $300, uh, $300 million in revenue? What, what kind of things did you do to, to, to build that business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because we forget now, but back in 1998, um, the video game industry was really small. Uh, it existed in consoles, but PC video gaming was, was really small. And the problem that I would have is I'd go to computer manufacturers and they'd say, but, uh, but my customers don't play video games. So it was really hard to try and, and sell graphics cards to people when they thought that there was no demand. So what I had to do was I had to kind of work on the demand creation as well as demand fulfillment. And that meant I very quickly had to go and start talking to people who made video games, the developers and the publishers, and then take well, the, uh, the, the games that they had and explain to the computer manufacturers how big video games are going to be and how if they use these games to help promote the, their computers, they would actually expand their market and increase the price they sold their computers for. Um, it was really tough at the beginning, but then video games did take off, and all the things I said would happen, happened, and so I quickly gained, uh, gained credibility. So that mm -hmm. developed into something I called the ecosystem sale, where you cannot um, stand alone sell a, a, a graphics chip, but you have to actually touch all of the points that surround that business. So you have to uh, work with the guys in Taiwan that build the graphics boards. You have to work with the computer manufacturers. You have to work with the video game producers and publishers, marketers and developers. Uh, and then actually we went from video games to expand into CAD and CAM, uh, you know, architecture and engineering to create this entire ecosystem. Uh, and that's how we built the business up. Gotcha. That's actually really, I mean, you it, it sounds like the obvious thing to do, but I, I, you know, it's never obvious when 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 you're when you're the one sitting there and trying to figure out a, a strategy to get get uh, these companies to buy more of your graphics cards. Um, and I think that was a really smart approach. Taking, you know, you bring your graphics card over to to a game developer, a publisher, and be like, try, you know, build something that can really take advantage of this technology. And then they build this game, and, and then suddenly it's like, well. Now we need a computer that can that can actually run it to you know full potential, um, and that's and then you get the computer uh, manufacturers wanting to be able to serve uh, people who want to play games at a, at high fidelity, right? Um, yeah, it was tough. You have to create um, a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. You ha you have to make everybody believe in the outcome, so that they buy in because by doing so they actually make the outcome come true. Right. So, 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 what were some of the ways you kind of sold um, that that ideal, that 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 belief that you had, uh, which obviously turned out to be true? But how did you, you know, what did you tell people like when you when you approached them, like you know, this is this video game, this graphics card that we've built here is the how did how did you explain it to the future to them? Well, it helps that video games are very cool. <laughs> so, advantage. <laughs> In that, you know, if, if you take, um, I mean, for example, one of the guys I made a great partnership with in the early days uh, was the Yearly Brothers at Crytek. And they had a vision to make a really, at the time, really, really advanced game uh, called Far Cry. And, uh, and they, right. they built a demo, 
called Dino Island to show what they thought the visual should look like. And so I was able to take that and to show it to people and go, look how cool that is. And then they would, and they did, I looked at it and they went, wow, that's amazing. Um, and so I said, look, you know, if you get behind this and you help this, then when we come to launch the game, you can use these assets to market the computer. And because they're fun and they're cool, who's not going to take a look? So uh, it, it was a huge leg up if you're going to be working in something which is naturally exciting and naturally interesting. Nevertheless, uh, you've got to make sure that everybody gets to share the vision. And for that to happen, you know, you have to spend a lot of time on the road. I, I mean, one year back in the early 2000s, I flew nearly 200 times. You know, I get up in the morning, I go to Paris, I do a presentation to um, pack our Bell computers there. In the afternoon, I would fly to Germany and I'd meet the guys at Crytek, see how the game was getting on. Then that evening, I'd go down um, there in Frankfurt, then I'd go down to Munich and I'd go and meet uh, Fujitsu Siemens computers as it was then. So, I, I mean, I, it was exhausting. Uh, but ultimately, you know, really successful and, and really satisfying. That that's that's insane. Two hundred. That you know what that reminds me of. You ever see that movie Up in the Air with uh, George yes. Clooney? <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, it reminds me of. I relate to like that very much. Yes, it's exactly <laughs> awesome. Um, so 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 not only you, uh, as we as we as we as we touched on, not only were you the first uh, executive in Europe for Nvidia, but you've also started uh, and been responsible for. You know, launching new divisions at, at, at companies. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's uh, when Nvidia launched uh, Tegra, which is a, a mobile uh, device that they had. Mm. Uh, they wanted to expand into uh, the you know, the mobile industry, smartphones, and uh, and using the same ecosystem approach. I said, well, that's not going to work unless you have a relationship with telephone operators. And so Jensen, the CEO, said, okay, well, you're good at that kind of thing. Uh, go build us out a relationship with the telephone operators. So I had to ring up people who'd never heard of NVIDIA, had no <laughs> idea what they should possibly want to talk to NVIDIA, and, uh, and build those relationships, uh, which, we were, which we were able to do uh, also very successfully. Right. So, so what, like, what's, the, what's, the very, like, what's the very first thing you do when you, when you start a new division, like how do you, how do you assemble your team? You know, what, what do you look for? Well, the first thing I do is I, I find a giant whiteboard. In fact, my preference is a whiteboard wall. Mm -hmm. And then I start there with pens and I, I, I map out the world. The world as it is according to the, the new division and what the new division does. And on that map, uh, I'll start with uh, markets, for example, uh, the, who the key customers are, who the key competitors are, uh, what the key products are, uh, both ours and, and, uh, and other people's. Um, and then also uh, the points of leverage in. So there are often there are companies who are neither competitors nor suppliers that can affect you. And, and so sometimes it's not obvious that you need to have relationships with them too. So for example, uh, in the video game world, Microsoft's DirectX API it's enormously important to uh, to the video game and the and the, and the GPU manufacturers. Yet the Microsoft DirectX team is not a customer to anybody, and it's not a supplier, but it's really really important to partner with them. So you map out um, influencer partners too, and when you finish doing all of that, you will have a world map, so to speak, of uh, what the new division is trying to do. And then you look at the world map, and just as you would on the real map. 
uh, certainly if you played a video game or you were a military advisor, you look for the strongest and weakest points of both defense and attack on that map to build a business out. And it very quickly becomes clear to you uh, what the next steps are uh, and what you need to do and where you need to invest. Right. No, that's, that, that sounds like, sounds like a, a solid strategy, you know, to get started. I, I love, I love whiteboarding and just like putting things down. I find, you know, one of the things I found over the years is that, um, there's two things that, that are really helpful to me whenever I'm starting something, a new initiative or, uh, anything in general, I guess. One is whiteboarding and, and, and kind of laying out the landscape like you just discussed. And the second uh, is creating uh, a checklist, like a to-do list. And, it, and and I think the reason I like trading to-do lists is, is uh, A, it lets you see like all right, you have, what you've accomplished. But, but even more importantly, once you check something off that list, it feels really good. Um, so it makes you want to get makes you want to get the next thing done. Excuse me. So, so yeah, I, I think I, I do. I do like that approach, and I think that you know, there's a lot of value there when you can lay it out and kind of see that you know the complete landscape and what you know what you're working with and what and how you can kind of make inroads in different places. Agreed. Completely agree. Yeah. So, we've talked a little bit about now video games, uh, graphics cards, uh, technology, and stuff. I want to change. Uh, I want to pivot a little bit, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you, you talked about how you're, you're uh, part of BAFTA, uh, and you're re and and you're really into film and, and Hollywood and things like that. How, how did you get into that whole scene? Like, you know, how did you how did you get from video games to to, to movies? Yeah, well, I've I've always been fascinated by and interested in three D. Mm -hmm. So the step to go from three D in video games to three D in uh, in films and TV happened when I joined a company called uh, Master Image. Uh, and that's when I moved from Silicon Valley down to, uh, to Hollywood. Um, Master Image was based out of Raleigh Studios, just across the street from Paramount on the famous Melrose Avenue. So I started working at Master Image on 3D. Uh, and then one of the things that uh, became apparent very quickly was that the overuse of something called negative parallax was bad for, for 3D viewing. And... For listeners that don't know what that is, uh, negative myself, what is that? <laughs> so that that's when an object appears not in depth behind the screen, but comes out of the screen is in front of your face. Okay. Um, so when 3D first came along, it was kind of an effect which was widely used because it's very dramatic. You know, so if someone throws a rock at you or or pokes a spear at you or something appears to come out of the screen at you, it really jars you and makes you jump, and it's ex exciting and it's fun. The problem is, is that nothing actually like that happens in the real world. And so what happens is, is the first time we see it, we kind of laugh and we scream and, and it's exciting. But the overuse of it actually makes it, uh, can make us feel queasy, and there's something about it which our brain tells us is inherently wrong. Mm -hmm. So that led me to start getting involved and talking to directors and producers, and it got me involved as well with uh, a, a group called the Advanced Imaging Society, wonderful group of guys uh, based in Hollywood who advise on best practice uh, for directors and production and the use of 3D. Uh, and so that really started to help me understand uh, the way that film and television is put together, and uh, I started to understand about uh, the different impacts and processes of technology into post-production 
which is where you tend to add, you know, bigger, better explosions and special effects. Then pre-visualization, which is where you can use game engine technology to set out a scene for the director, and then into something called uh, virtual production. And, and all of that came out of needing to understand uh, the full entertainment pipeline, whether it's a video game, a TV, or film production, and all of the processes which get affected by the things that we do. Right. Did I, I'm just curious, did anything in particular surprise you that you learned along the way when, it, when you got to Hollywood and film and TV and movies and stuff like stuff, you know, uh, stuff that just you wouldn't have expected or is contrary to what you, I guess, originally believed? Yeah, when I came down from, uh, from Northern California, a lot of people told me, oh, you won't like it. You know, the people are all movie people. They're kind of, uh, they can sometimes be maybe shallow. They're not sincere. You know, you hear all these stories. And uh, the one of the biggest surprises to me actually was how warm and inviting and supportive the uh, the creative industry is here. Um, if, you, uh, if you're able to really contribute to storytelling, uh, I have found the people to be wonderful. So, so that was a, a nice surprise. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, uh, it's commonly said that the studios are very slow moving and slow to embrace new technology. Uh, that also isn't true. I have found them to be uh, entirely enthusiastic about learning uh, new ways to tell stories, uh, which actually uh, has led directly to forming uh, a new film festival. So the Infinity Film Festival, which uh, launches in November this year in Beverly Hills, has come about because um, I commonly supposed that everybody in film and TV production would know about everything that happens in technology uh, and vice versa. And actually, that's not true. You know, the people in Silicon Valley read Wired magazine and then Gadget, and the people in Hollywood read uh, Deadline um, and The Hollywood Reporter. Mm -hmm. And the two worlds are very separate. So we're going to try and bring them together because I found that when you do so, it's, uh, it's actually it's exciting and it's fun and, uh, and deals get made and, uh, and steps move forward. Right. And you, and you mentioned something <clears throat> just now about uh, how new technology, you know, is, is being uh, implemented in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry. Uh, one of those new technologies is, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that people are really excited about is VR, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so how how is VR kind of being used in Hollywood today, um, currently? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is it's being used extensively. Uh, one of the surprise, another surprise to me was that when uh, when VR first kind of got started a couple of years ago, thanks to the success of Oculus and HTC, that Hollywood was making a lot more VR than the games industry. And uh, the reason for that is because uh, one is that uh, as a storytelling medium, it, it really gives you a, a much greater degree of immersion. The reason that we love great books, great television, great film is for the, the when we're enjoying it, in the best of its uh, best examples of, of it, we are lost. We, we, we are gone to an otherworldly place. You know, we are com so completely gripped by the story that we forget where we are, who we're with, uh, for the duration of it, in its best example. So it's the immersion that we love. Well, VR gives you hundreds of times more strength, uh, greater strength immersion. So storytellers are naturally drawn to it. Um, the way that it's used today is in, in two ways. It's used for the 
creation of content, both VR and non-VR, because a director uh, can see angles and he can see things in a scene which help him to explain what it is that he's, that he's, tr he's trying to set out for that portion of his story. So VR is used in pre-vis and virtual production. And then for the content consumption, the, the enjoyment of the, of the uh, experiences, uh, VR is being used to promote traditional format films um, through location-based VR experiences. So what you'll often find is for a big film that uh, in the lobby or somewhere nearby the theater, there'll be a VR experience. So in Stephen King's It Came Out, for example, there was a very good, scary VR experience at a number of uh, cinemas around the country. The same thing happened for Dunkirk. The same thing happened for Interstellar. Um, so it's a very good medium for film promotion and, uh, and, and telling sometimes extended parts of the story. So it's being used very widely. Nice. So, so that so that's how it's being used currently. Uh, how how do you see how do you see it playing out in the long term in the future? Do you see extended use cases, or or are we kind of are we going to be are we going to be in this particular use case that, that we're in right now for quite a bit of time? Yes, I think VR and AR are definitely here to stay. Uh, it cannot be disputed that in terms of consumer sentiment, uh, some, some of the enthusiasm for VR has definitely dropped. Uh, however, uh, location-based VR continues to go from strength to strength. Uh, IMAX's VR centers are still very popular. Um, and VR is also being used very successfully in enterprise, in medicine and architectural design, um, safety training and so on. So it's, it's definitely here to stay. The other thing is, is that uh, it, it's morphing a little bit into augmented reality. And we're seeing enormous interest in that. I mean, Magic Leap, um, it still has an enormous uh, ex uh, excitement wherever they go, whatever they reveal. And I, I, just curious, have, have you have you been lucky enough to get a, a demo with Magic Leap or, or no? not yet? No, this might surprise you because I've done so much in VR but, and AR, <laughs> but I haven't yet actually tried uh, Magic Leap's experience. Even though um, I have a number of, uh, I have a very good friend called Jim Black who works there, and a number of close friends are, are either working there or associated with them. Uh, but I know that uh, there's some really exciting AR stuff coming. Uh, Niantic's work that the guys that did Pokemon Go, right, uh, right. they have uh, some really really cool stuff coming down the pipe. Uh, so I think uh, it's, it's going to be here for sure. It's going to morph a little bit between VR and AR, um, and we probably haven't even begun to uh, to see. Or to understand the the size of the of the impact of what's coming. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I 100% I agree. Uh, I, I'm really, I, you know, I was hot on VR for a while, uh, like most people, but I, I've really kind of fallen into the AR camp is kind of where it's going to be at, um, going forward. You know, down the line, once you know, once the technology can be, I guess, portable enough, you know, if, if that's a good way of describing it. Um, that you know you could actually you know walk around and not look like you know an idiot <laughs> like with google glass for example um which i ended up buying and you know regrettably so um but nonetheless uh <laughs> you've also worked uh as we mentioned you know uh, earlier for both amd and nvidia um and i'm curious to hear you know being that you no longer work at uh, at either company I'm curious to, to get your opinion in terms of who do you think is currently better positioned 
um, for success kind of in this market of AI, of VR, AR, um, and, and, and why? Well, rather than uh, speak to each company directly, I mean, I've got yeah. friends that still work at both. I, I will say that both of them uh, make really, really good hardware. If you look at the, the functionality of the features and the performance, um, GPU for GPU, uh, they're both really excellent. However, um, it is absolutely the case that the company which invests in the ecosystem uh, is going to always be the stronger and more successful. And the reason for that is, you know, CPUs are relatively, and I emphasize the word relatively, uh, simpler. Uh, provided that you make a fast CPU at the right geometry, which means uh, the size of uh, the, you know, how small the wires are, the interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. If you use um, the right geometry with a fast, fast process and you have a fast running uh, processor, then a CPU uh, can be made to, to be pretty competitive. Provided, of course, you have a license for x86, which of course only Intel and AMD does. On the other hand, GPUs are very different. Uh, with a GPU, the hardware is uh, just the beginning. There is an enormous, enormous amount of software which goes around the GPU. Uh, first of all, you need to make sure that your drivers are absolutely world-class, uh, completely right. robust. You then also need to, to make sure that you are working literally in lockstep uh, with the APIs, uh, with Microsoft to DirectX and Kronos for, for OpenGL um, and OpenCL for compute functions. But even, but even that's not enough. You've also then got to make sure that you have a studio or studio-type system where you have teams that can go out and work with the games developers uh, and help them make sure their code is optimized to run on your GPUs, uh, with the games publishers to make sure you partner with them uh, for the promotion of the newest features, both in their game, which are enabled by your chip. But then you also need to go and work uh, with every single aspect and, and of the GPU ecosystem. Uh, so I applaud uh, NVIDIA for CUDA. CUDA is a, a platform which allows a GPU to be used for general purpose computing. And, uh, and when I joined AMD, I rather foolishly said that I thought that CUDA would one day uh, die because it would be replaced by open standards uh, from others. And usually mm -hmm. that's the case. Usually open standards uh, uh, win. But yet if you look at the case of CUDA versus um, OpenCL, or any of the other open standards bodies, CUDA is by far, far the, uh, the, the stronger platform for general purpose compute. And the reason for that is because of uh, NVIDIA's um, continued commitment to an investment in it uh, as compared to um, anybody else or, you know, or AMD's commitment to, uh, to ecosystem. Right, and right. So, uh, and if you... If you're in the market for GPUs for professional use, if you're I mean, here in Hollywood for post-production, for example, then the fact that you know, uh, NVIDIA is invested with every one of the major software companies, Adobe and Autodesk, Avid, Blackmagic, who make uh, really important products, uh, compositors like Foundry with uh, Nuke, for example, then you know that, uh, that using a GeForce, using a Quadro, is going to be a safe bet because NVIDIA invests so heavily in supporting all of those partners. So the answer to your question is, as you can hear, is complex. 
Right, very complex. Apologize if it's lengthy, but the winner will always be the company that has a studio and which commits to a, an ecosystem. Great. Well, I, I was an excellent. I was. I mean, I. It was very. It was a long answer, but it was a great answer. Uh, Thanks. Not only not only was it informative, I also learned a couple of things along the way as well. <laughs> so thanks. Um, <laughs> so tell us. Uh, so right now you're you're advising a. Uh, you started uh, advising recently, a, a company called Cubic Motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what they do and how how your expertise um, that you've developed over the years uh, is enabling you to help them. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, just about around the time that I left AMD, I started getting a number of phone calls from a number of companies, um, and one of them uh, was was Cubic Motion. And uh, and as soon as I looked, I'd heard of them, but I hadn't really uh, looked in depth at their technology. And as soon as I did, I just head over heels fell in love. Um, what they do is they they take the data from capture of uh, human faces. And then they uh, use that data to recreate facial animation uh, in video games and now actually also in television. Uh, there's a new show on Netflix called Kiss Me First, uh, which uses Cubic Motion's uh, technology. And it, they are so far on ahead of anybody in their field that they can actually capture a human, uh, an actor's face, and then reproduce that as an avatar, and they can do it in real time. And it's just That's incredible. Truly, it's it, it's one of those um, advances in technology that really does appear akin to magic. That you just stand there with your jaw dropped saying, <laughs> how on earth have they done that? It was a great story that the uh, CEO, uh, Gareth Edwards, likes to tell. Uh, they were on stage doing a demo with, uh, with Tim Sweeney, the, uh, the wonderful CEO of, uh, of Epic, um, a couple of uh, years ago. And as the demo is starting to, uh, as, as, as it's about to start, uh, they're very, very concerned because the, uh, the image on the screen, which is an avatar, appears to be shaking. And they thought that something was wrong. Uh, it wasn't. What it was is the actress was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and their technology so brilliantly captures in real time uh, every detail of the, uh, the actors, or the, in this case, the actress's face, that that was being reproduced on the screen because she was nervous. Wow. So I love the technology. And then I met the team, and it's a bunch of guys, PhDs, uh, in Manchester in England. And they are the most wonderful people. I mean, they're just, they're bright, they're inventive, uh, they're kind, they're passionate, uh, they're open-minded. And so I thought, oh, well, I, I gotta, gotta work with these guys. So what I'm doing is uh, they don't have an office or an operation in the US. Uh, their technology is already used widely in games, which many of your listeners will have heard of. Uh, the technology was used in Battlefield. Uh, the technology was used in God of War, which came out recently. The technology was used in Call of Duty. Um, and in one of my favorites uh, video games of last year, uh, Wolfenstein. So, uh, so they're, they're doing really, really well in video games, but they want to expand into, into film and television. Uh, and I'm really interested about um, avatars in social media. So I don't know if you know about, uh, I think it's Little, Little Marky, the avatar that's got millions of followers and is actually sponsored by fashion brands. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that we can take uh, Cubic Motion's facial capture technology and capture uh, actors and celebrities and actually create new ones. Uh, and these celebrities will be able to sing and dance and interact with us 
uh, through, uh, through avatars. And so I'm helping to make introductions for them and explain how that te how their technology can be used. Wow, that's awesome. I, I, first of all, the, the amount of, I, I would imagine there's a, there's a good mix of hardware and software that goes into the technology that they've developed. Um, is, it, is that, is that correct? It's absolutely uh, correct. And by the way, yeah. I know this is a podcast. So if any of your yeah. listeners want to see uh, this technology, because it really is astonishing, if you go to YouTube and search for Siren, um, S-I-R-E-N, and Qubit Motion, you're, you'll see the real-time demo uh, on YouTube. Yeah, I'll definitely recommend you guys do that. Um, it, I, I, have the, I actually have the page up right here on my computer right now. <laughs> um, definitely check it out. Um, and speaking of, uh, you know, advanced technologies, right? So I know that you're interested. I saw you did a post on LinkedIn not too long ago about artificial intelligence AI, right? Um, yeah. And how it'll affect the future. Um, in you know, for, uh, uh, just in general, uh, how, you know, what, you know, what are your thoughts about AI? Are you, are, are you one of those people who is, you know, concerned about it? Kind of like Elon Musk is concerned about it. Or, you know, or do you see, you know, um, a happy medium between us and AI? Um, I definitely do not see a happy medium. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I am both uh, extremely concerned about AI, and, and I do share uh, Elon's concerns and the late and great Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. uh, so I am uh, very, very worried about it. And I think everything they say is true. And we should be very concerned. However, I am equally, and this might sound completely contradictory, uh, optimistic, enthusiastic about it, and think that it promises uh, a, a wonderful future. Um, the truth is, is that AI is very, very powerful already and is going to continue to grow in power. And so we are going to need to uh, understand that power, both for good and for evil. Uh, for good, as you said, you know, the, uh, the, the blog I have on LinkedIn uh, goes through, I think, more than 12 different aspects of how AI will dramatically improve our lives. Uh, right. One of the things it will do, for example, is re remove tedium. And the hundreds of millions of hours that we waste in queues and lines and just, just waiting for things, anything from the DMV to the dentist to doctors. Um, so AI will, will, will get rid of tedium which is really wonderful. We'll uh, do things like uh, reduce food waste. Really, really terrific things. Um, but it, will, it, it is also, it can be very, very dangerous. Um, and um, I would advise anybody that's really seriously interested in this area uh, to read uh, Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. A terrific book that talks about uh, the future of humans over the next uh, couple of hundred years. And he writes uh, beautifully uh, about the impact of AI, both for good and bad. So, uh, so con slightly contradictory positions being held in my head at once, um, with lots of care and concern, yet uh, optimism about the future. Right. No, I'm I'm with you actually. I, I I'm I share your, you know, what appear to be somewhat contradictory um, beliefs, uh, but 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 I also kind of think like. You know, when when AI becomes you know 
when when it, when it's when it's learn when it's smart enough that it could literally so- think of problems and solve them that humans either never thought of or can't solve. You know that that that's that's scary, but it's also like, you know, that's also beneficial to mankind in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned <laughs> about uh, waiting. Sorry, to jump in there, but you just no, no, go ahead. Um, if we have cameras which are looking at us, which we already do, and uh, sometimes we do it deliberately when we look into our phones. Sometimes it's happening through security cameras. Um, but we have cameras looking at us. If those cameras can detect that uh, we may be sick or on a way to becoming ill, notify the doctor or, and then organize for the drugs to be uh, delivered to our door without us even having to make an appointment with the doctor, well, that's wonderful in many, many ways. But the idea of those cameras looking at us and making those determine, you know, making that determination is you know, horrifying for some people. Uh, the, so, for example, uh, one aspect of that is great. We save time, uh, we can save lives, uh, and we can save t- uh, and we, we're not going to be, you know, sometimes we'll get drugs when we wouldn't have gone to the doctors. So that's positive, 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 all great. On the other hand, if there is a deal with your insurance company, and that data finds its way to the insurance company, and the insurance company says, oh, you know, I notice you've been sick a little bit late more recently. Um, you know, we're going to increase your premium. Well, none of us would like that. Right, exactly. And so that's what I mean about AI being both a force for incredible good, uh, but also, you know, it's going to need to be managed, controlled, and, and thought about. Absolutely, absolutely. There, ha- You know, it, it's definitely a, a topic... Uh, you know, that has to be, um, you know, we have to consider as many possibilities as possible um, when in terms of how it will be implemented, how it could potentially be used um, and things like that, you know, before, you know, widely deploying it, you know, around the world. Uh, yes. Otherwise, that would be reckless. I, I agree. Uh, well, OK, so. Last thing I want to I want to talk to you about um, before we get to the lightning round that is and Roy I really appreciate you being on the podcast today it's been it's been wonderful uh, I've learned a lot I'm sure our audience has learned a lot as well and it's been just great talking to you um, but you're doing you know you're doing a lot of advising now you you're also um, you know working uh, on a lot of film stuff you're part of the, the BAFTA you're working on the the Beverly Hills uh, Infinity thing. Uh, uh, festival um how do you like to spend your free time you have any interesting hobbies <laughs> that you want, <laughs> want to share with people sure um i, I love to cook i have a, a new six month old baby and uh, I, I like to spend time with her uh, i love to spend time with friends cooking and drinking uh, wonderful wine uh, but i still play a lot of video games uh, whenever i can uh, i'm currently playing far cry 5 which i really enjoy um nice. And, uh, and I also enjoy playing PUBG, uh, mm-hmm. although it's a, a, a nuisance. Um, so, yeah, video games, uh, really wonderful friends, uh, cooking, uh, wine, and a uh, six-month-old daughter. Keep me pretty busy with a, <laughs> with a small amount of uh, spare time that I have. Nice. So let's. Uh, that sounds pretty good to me. I like I like food, too. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and uh, you know, I love I love. Uh, I love spending time with family as well. Um, so let's get to the lightning round um, whenever you're ready. And actually, the good it's a good segue because you mentioned that uh, 
you like to play a lot of video games. One of the questions in the lightning round relates to that. Okay. So whenever you're ready to go, let's go. I, I'm ready. All right. So if you're building a gaming PC today, would you go AMD or NVIDIA? Um, for this, well, let me let me tell you what I have in, in my computer uh, okay. right now. So, so right now I have uh, an AMD Threadripper CPU, uh, which I'm very very pleased with. Um, and after leaving AMD, I had uh, a very good friend of mine at NVIDIA um, uh, give me a GeForce GTX 1080 Ti. Uh, so, <laughs> That's a very so that, nice card. Yes, it's a, it's a very nice card, and it was very nice of NVIDIA to do that for me. Uh, big shout out to them, thank you. Um, but so, uh, and then I have um, Samsung and uh, Intel flash drives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that uh, your your consideration for what you use. I mean, all the components are good today. Intel CPUs are, are obviously fantastic. Uh, today, uh, AMD CPUs are, are competitive and, and I think great value. And then on the GPU side, I think you should uh, look at the games that you most enjoy playing and then choose the GPU that works for you accordingly. Good advice. Next question is, uh, what's your favorite movie? Oh, <laughs> that's a great question. Oh, I have so many. Uh, so many. Uh, I love a few. Top three, okay. top five. Uh, uh, like I love the Lord of the Rings films. I've watched them over and over. Um, actually, I really, really enjoyed uh, Dunkirk recently. That's already become one of my favorites. Um, I love, uh, actually, The English Patient. It's an old, old film. I'm giving away my age there. <laughs> and um, I actually recently, so my, my, my wife is Turkish, and so I have my Turkish father-in-law over. And so we went through all the British classics with him, and I'd forgotten how many of the great British classics I still love. So Lawrence of Arabia uh, was, was wonderful to rewatch, as was the original uh, Italian, Italian job, the one with Michael mm -hmm. Caine. Um, and, uh, oh, the original The Battle of Britain was a, is another film that I really, really love. Um, so you can pick up a theme here. I like British films. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a good list right there. I'm going to have to check out a couple of those. Um, next next question on, the, on we have for the lightning round is iOS or Android? Oh, uh, I am absolutely uh, an Android fan. I was a, a big, big fan of everything that Google did around uh, developing an operating system. And uh, and I and I just I just love the uh, the platform. So, but my my wife uses uh, Apple and I I use Samsung and Android. So we're we're a household that has both. But for me personally, Android. So you guys don't talk via iMessage then. I have this rule that I don't reply to anyone with the green bubble. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, see. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um. <laughs> Next, next, the last question that we have for you uh, today, and again, it's been great having you on, is VR or AR? Both, both. Okay. There are times. Right, we'll go with that. There are times when you want to be uh, completely immersed, and you're in a place where you can, you don't mind not being able to see what's around you, and then you want uh, VR. And then there are other times when you want to experience something while still being able to see around you, uh, and that's when you want AR. So, so uh, very, very strongly both. Nice. That makes sense to me. So, Roy, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find you online, what's the best place for them to do that? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. I am at uh, Roy underscore Taylor underscore. Or they can find me on LinkedIn as uh, Roy Taylor. Uh, or on Instagram as uh, Tommy Atkins. That's Tommy and the number eight 
K-I-N-S. And nice. uh, I have a free graphics card for the first person that tells, <laughs> me, that tells me what the reference Tommy Atkins refers to. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you that. Is it a movie reference? Give us the hint. Uh, it's old. And uh, it appeared first in books. Okay. All right, guys. Note that down, and you can message him uh, if, if you have an idea. All right, Roy. Well, Roy Taylor, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank and, you. Uh, I, I look forward to, uh, to keeping in touch, and uh, have a good rest of your day. You got it. You too. Thanks very much, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.